This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs coming off their parents plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer flexible budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals get more cool facts about united healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com welcome back hope you've been loving the messages from the bottle how i quit alcohol live show past speeches these were recorded in our studio here at home just to give you an idea of of how it went on the night and if you couldn't be there if you can't watch it on youtube i thought i'd post them up here on the through the podcast so that you can have a listen they are super inspiring and of course i could never do anything how i quit alcohol related without having my friend lissy turner on lissy was probably one of my first inspirations to quit alcohol. She is 11 years sober and she was probably the most trashiest of trash bag people ever that I've ever known. (laughs) And I always thought, well, if she could do it, I can certainly do it. And so she was absolutely 100% one of the catalysts to me changing my life. Many of you know Lissy just from my podcast. She also has her own podcast called Lissy Turner Presents. She is an amazing yoga therapist. She runs incredible programs, 21 Days Dissolving Patterns. She runs programs on dealing with hormones, perimenopause, all sorts of things. She's just amazing. She's a weapon of a human. I absolutely love and adore her. And I loved and adored her speech. It gave me chills. It was just incredible. She's an amazing public speaker. And I absolutely loved this one. So we ended the night on this speech. It was phenomenal. Without further ado, here is the beautiful, the wildly talented, incredibly brave Lissy Turner. Even when after 15 years of quaffing on like a pickled peacock and my brilliant body first began its beautiful and ugly process of rejecting alcohol altogether, I didn't even know that not drinking was a thing. Which is odd because my parents didn't drink, but I just thought they were super massive big weirdos. As if you would be an adult and not drink. It was the symbol 
the liquid golden chalice of adult freedom. And that feeling of that first drink, everything just falling away and the ease bubbling up. It was the best in that brief little window between drink none and drink two. I even went to the doctors at one point, and this is a true story. After I'd started this new thing where I'd start spewing at only about half a schooner deep, and I asked him, wait for it, what could I possibly do to resolve this issue? <laughs> like a madman, he replied that I, well, give up drinking. And so I, I clarified that, no, no, I don't have a drinking problem. I'm having a problem with my drinking. And did he have something I could take to keep it down? Apparently, he did not. So I sold it on like a deluded champion for another six years. I'm not here tonight as a new sober person. After 11 years off the source, my extraordinary liver has rebuilt itself some 20 times over. And of every single cell in my body standing in front of you this evening, not one still exists from the time I vomited up my very last drink. In the sober space, I'm a bit like an old person who gives no fucks about popular opinion. A comfortable preacher, happy to deliver a strong, unapologetic and supportive sober sermon. Not the kind to condemn you to hell or cast you out if you're not like me. I totally get it. I get it as deeply as you can get it. The dissolution of social anxiety, the relief of masking mental fragility, the lubricating of lips and of hips for freer flowing language, dance floor domination and swagger elevation. I completely get it. I'm here standing in front of you tonight with no remaining uncertainty of that early sobriety in my body, not in any one of my cells from my liver to my grey matter and say to you with the fullest knowing of having walked the long magnificent odyssey to hear that a life without booze is brilliant. So buckle up because I'm not here to mince words about the bullshit of booze and keep in mind that when I speak with passion about sobriety or when I condemn the culture of consumption, my target of judgment is never you. Not even if you've done the worst things in the world when you were wasted. For when something is not just allowed but encouraged, when instead of being vilified, it is legalised, when corporations to churches to families to Parliament House all participate, we learn a very ingrained lesson. The thing is fine. If you can't handle it, if you fuck up, if you hurt someone or hurt yourself, it's not the booze that's the problem, it's you. And on that, I call bullshit. 73% of all assaults in Australia are alcohol-related. Drinking doubles the risk of domestic and family violence. Almost half of partner homicides involve alcohol. For every lovely boozy buzz, there is someone being boozily bashed. How can I stand up for my sisters and simultaneously support the industry that manufactures one of the single biggest risk factors for violence? This poison that colonisers introduced to First Nations people with no disclaimer about what it could do to them, their babies, to their delicate and intricate social systems that's still legally allowed to poison every one of us in broad daylight and keeps those most traumatised trapped, perpetuating a bullshit hierarchy of those who can handle their booze and those who cannot. Of course, we can't separate the person completely from the poison. There are a multitude of complex reasons that lead to violence, often spread along generations. But the statistics shout loud and clear. Grog is the gasoline on the toxic bonfire of trauma. These worst case scenarios might be a far cry for many. 
From the salty Coronas with a tangy slice of lemon on a sunny Byron Bay beach. The sweet, sticky sangrias on a sultry summer's eve. The laugh-a-minute mayhem of getting munted with good friends. But I wonder if there is even one of us in this room who hasn't done something either hugely awful or many tiny accumulated awfuls as a direct result of drinking. For a while at the beginning of sobriety, the narrative of giving up cautiously skirts around the unforgivable territory of being preachy. Dialogue that gently tiptoes around the hardcore reality that doesn't suit a culture such as white Australia's, that alcohol itself is utterly fucked. Although it does give us cause to stop and ponder what's feeding this need to consensually swallow a corrosive, colourless, flammable, toxic chemical compound, a Group 1 carcinogen, which means evidentially proven to cause cancer in humans. Legal, slow, self-initiated euthanasia. Perhaps not wanting to discover that some of your friends will cast you out of the social calendar, and with your new land legs not as strong and steady as they will become, you keep your great achievement of sobriety along with the truth about alcohol that you are beginning to uncover humbly to yourself. No one likes a preachy sober person, particularly when you've been the raving town trash bag for more than two decades that could outdrink, outsnort, outdrop any contender that crossed your path. And no amount of active wear and sun salutes may ever penetrate some people's perception of you. And you know what? That's okay too. Because over time, your silence on the shitness of booze becomes a bit like seeing your friend in a relationship with an abusive dickhead. And rather than bravely speaking up and risk rocking the boat, you stay quiet and smile thinking, it's not my place. I've been with heaps of dickheads before. Who am I to make comment? But then as months without booze turn into years and the ethanol haze, like the heat on a scorching pavement, slowly begins to dissolve and your liver is finally able to cool, the wonder of the world as it is starts to take shape and a very clear picture begins to form. A giant rainbow neon sign lit up across this new beautiful landscape of sobriety, hidden for so long behind the clouds of clever marketing and cultural conditioning that sparkles in its clarity and says, shit, goddamn, alcohol is fucked. I'm going to take you through just one of many doorways that led me into the long, harrowing freefall of drinking self-flagellation. One that was a far cry from the day out on a yacht in Sydney Harbour with Pharrell Williams and all the expensive champagne a champagne lover could guzzle, conducting an interview on the bed in the master bedroom beneath the mirrored ceiling. The story I'm going to tell you edges a little closer to the vomiting I did on the way home, and much closer still to the lie I told my then eight-year-old daughter as she gleefully flung the door I was leaning on open and I landed at her feet in our hallway with a sickening thud at four in the afternoon. To hear the sound of her terror and my fabricated response, that it's okay, mummy's just tired after a long day at work and I'm going to have a sleep here until tomorrow, which I did. I haven't chosen to take you through the doorway of a thousand long boozy nights nor of sex I don't even know to this day I've had. Not the time I put my cigarette out on that woman's blouse thinking she was a pole but simultaneously grateful I didn't piss on her leg thinking I was a dog. Not the time I tackled my friend and put his leg through a glass window, and I laughed. Not the night out with Jack Black or the Bronx or Hilltop Hoods or De La Soul. Not the dancing on stage with the flaming lips or singing poorly on stage in Tokyo with Pennywise. Not the many mornings I was wrapped around the porcelain instead of the microphone, publicly absent to a million listeners. 
Not the months I didn't get out of bed until after my daughter had left for school because the hangovers had gotten so bad in the wake of my marriage breakdown. Not even the time I crawled in under the covers with her after a big night out and woke the next morning to her screams of disgust because I'd vomited on her teddies and in her hair. This particular story, the one I'm about to share, that led me to dissect in clinical detail just how much my former bestest buddy Booze had taken from me and how nothing it had given me, contains no alcohol in it at all. A mocktail, if you will. For this is the doorway of consequence, the ongoing ripple from my turbulent behaviour that spread in my wake long after I'd given the grog away. For what I didn't fully see until I was well and truly sober was how my drinking washed through the first 12 years of my daughter's life, a tsunami of emotional devastation. The impatience, the intolerance, the headaches, the vomiting, the passing out, the complete and utter absences, the shit men, the shame, the breaking of promises and plans, the cutting of so many important parenting corners to get back to the party. There's not much I do by halves, except the dishes. I fucking hate the dishes. But I didn't sober like I do the dishes. I gave up drinking so hard in August 2011. I changed my name, changed my profession, and thought I could yoga the history of my hedonism into annihilation. But what I didn't know then was that my drinking had its own momentum, woven into the fabric of my daughter. My drinking, championed out in the world, tied into my career as a radio presenter for Triple J, was for that small child like death by a thousand tiny cuts. And I would be held accountable for every one of them through my daughter's self-destructive behaviours born from her pain. For nearly a decade through her teens, her young life hung in the balance, and every bit of further pain inflicted upon her out there in the dangerous parts of the world were my lashes to bear, but they landed on her back, her face, her body. Sobriety, although casting an achingly bright light on every moment I had given to booze instead of to my beautiful baby, was also the absolute necessity to me becoming what my children, what the world, what myself truly needed. So for as hard as it is after all the good changes and all the good choices, to run full circle back into that wall of guilt you thought you were running away from, it is only in sobriety that lives the strength needed to knock that fucker down and pick up all the shattered pieces of a child's broken heart and become what's needed to put them back together. I want to share one last really important thing. If you're teetering on the fence and you have any doubt about sobriety or the magic of the world out here on this side of the bottle, I just want you to take a moment to look at these people on this panel, at this community, not drinking is a thing. It's a movement, a revolution, a reclamation of life and of power. This is what cool looks like. Strong, brave, kind, compassionate, present, supportive, sober. Thank you. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.